0: Welcome to Trinity. We're a church family learning how to follow Jesus in the city of Nottingham. Our vision is to see the church on fire and the city alive.
1: Morning, brothers and sisters. The believers share their possessions. All the believers were one in heart and mind No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerful in work of them all, there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, saw the field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. This is the word of the Lord.
0: Thanks, Andy. Uh, So just an update as we begin on, on the shark tank. We did some, some work earlier, and it turns out it won't hold water. No, I know. So we're thinking maybe an interpretive dance space. So if you feel called by the Spirit to dance before the Lord in the service, that's your place. At least until it becomes a drum studio. All right, we are in a series called The Jesus Revolution. We're going to continue that this morning. In fact, I think it's our final Our final week. Um, And so this is a a special week, looking to conclude what we have been speaking about for some time. Now, and I want to begin this morning by introducing a hero of mine. I think we have a, a picture, perhaps, of him on the screen. This man is called Chuck Feeney. Now, many of you won't have heard of him, many of you have heard of him. Because I have used him as an example once before, although when I was mentioning this to Amy, my wife, she didn't remember, and uh, having definitely heard me preach on him before, so I felt like I was probably okay to use his example once more. And the reason for bringing him up again is that he's actually recently died, but he is a hero of mine, and in fact, a hero of many people. In fact, his friend and fellow billionaire, Warren Buffett said that he was my hero, and he should be everybody's hero. Why? Well, Chuck Feeney, uh, the man who you see on the screen, was a duty-free pioneer. He was the first person to get into duty-free. Perhaps not reason to like him. Uh, for those of you who've whiled away uh, hours at um, airports under temptation, uh, maybe, maybe that's not reason to like him, but he made billions of dollars Uh, from his work in Duty Duty Free. Personally, though, he couldn't resolve himself to that. He had deep misgivings and bordering on guilt about the amount of money that he'd made and whether or not he really deserved it. And so he made a resolution, a personal intention, that he decided, I want to give away all of my money, all many billions of uh, dollars within my lifetime. And he kept a, a relatively modest, I would say a fairly modest $2 million to retire on. And given that he lived into his 90s, he had to make that go a little way. He embraced, in order to do that, a very simple life, despite being a multi-billionaire. He carried his papers around. He was a businessman, obviously, so he carried his papers around in a plastic bag. He wore a $10 Casio watch. And in fact, um, he once received a gift of a watch, another Casio watch, a $13 Casio watch, when he was receiving some kind of honor. And he said, this is fantastic. Thank you so much for the watch. These are really good to sell on eBay. (laughs) He sold his car, and he began to travel on buses. Whenever he went on planes, which was often, he took the economy seats. Now, he didn't want to be honored. He began all of his giving in secret. Uh, He gave to lots of building projects. uh, As a result of kind of the example of Andrew Carnegie, he particularly wanted to invest in education and in learning. So he gave lots of money to his own alma mater, Cornell University, and way beyond. But because he gave in the multi-millions, and in fact, eventually billions, and because nobody knew where the money came from, People thought that the money must have come from the mafia. So he eventually had to let let them know who was giving. He said this about his giving and about other wealthy people. He said, it's their call what the rich do with their money. I would not want to impose my thoughts on any rich person. He can keep it all or spend it all. If he doesn't find anything wrong with buying big yachts, fine. More power to him. But think about giving away while they're alive. Because you'll get a lot more satisfaction than if you wait until you're dead. <laughs> Besides, it's a lot more fun. Fun. When we think about generosity, I wonder how many of us are conditioned to think of it as fun. Maybe maybe you look at Chuck Feeney and you think, well, that's kind of so out of reach, so out of sight of me that it doesn't even make any sense. But I have to be honest with you, I have met so many people within the church who have given as if giving is fun. And their gifts, their adventurous generosity has made all the difference to me. Amy and I, in our uh, time, particularly a time in the United States where we were resident aliens, literally resident aliens, countless people opened homes to us. They lent cars to us. We were enabled to live in that place through the adventurous generosity of so many people. That's been my story. Receiving and, by God's grace, beginning even the journey of giving in that way. And yet, the example of Chuck Feeney stands out so much to us, particularly in our cultural context, because it's so rare. The way that I think many of us are conditioned to think about money through at least the Western gospel, if you like, is that our job is to become ever more financially comfortable until the point at which we die. Accruing more stuff, more comfort, maybe needing an upgrade on a house so we can fit the stuff in. And then if we fill the house and the garage, maybe renting out some storage to fill the extra stuff that we don't ever use. This is the Western gospel. And so within the context of that, somebody like Chuck Feeney is hugely countercultural. And it's a nice bit of providence that we should be thinking about generosity. This week, when Thanksgiving, at least in America, bleeds into Black Friday. And every so often we're reminded that this isn't the life that Jesus imagined for his disciples. And sometimes it does take a secular saint to show us. As we conclude this series, the Jesus Revolution, what we want to see, what we want to look at finally is the difference that becoming part of a generous community can make, not only to the environment within our own souls, but in fact to the whole world around us. So let's take a look at Acts 4. And at first glance, you've heard it read, Anders has already read it, we see something similar in the life of this community that we saw in Chuck Feeney's life, only it's not just an individual living it out, it's in fact a whole community at once, behaving in this oddly generous atmosphere. There was, my first point, I'm going to alliterate today, folks, it took me all week, but I'm so proud. It was an environment of glorious generosity, there was glorious generosity in the community. It says this, no one said that anything that he or she had was his own. But they shared everything they had. In this community at this time, there was a spirit-breathed generosity. Remember, Pentecost had happened, the spirit had been poured out, and the manifestation of that in the community is extraordinary. It's glorious generosity. Now literally, uh, in the Greek it says no one, and this is what it says in also the English the translation, no one, it says here no one claimed, literally the word means no one said that anything that they had was their own. In other words, it's like while we recognize that the stuff that's in our houses properly may belong to us, we're no longer going to claim private ownership. The grace of God, the spirit of God was on this community to the degree even even that they considered that the stuff that was within their four walls no longer properly belonged to them. They laid down private ownership. It is an extraordinary grace. The gospel had landed in their lives such that they no longer felt the need to be possessed by their possessions. Why? Because they'd become possessed by someone greater than their possessions. They were now possessed by Jesus, by the goodness of God. And so they were willing to divest themselves of every other thing and lay it down for the benefit of the wider community, the community of faith, and the world outside the community of faith. What I want you to see in this first point, this glorious generosity point, is this is a result of something. God has moved, God has met them. And as he meets us, the spirit lands on the community, their hands are opened, even as their hearts are opened. It's a grace. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. It's not a human striving. But it really, at the root of it, is an attitude of the heart. And if we would describe that in one word, the word we must use is faith. Or better, I think often, within the, within the context of church, for those of us that have been churched, a better word is trust. Because faith, faith to Christians, if you're a Christian in the room, if I say faith, you start thinking about the right, the right things to believe. Oh, yes, my faith. Oh, I believe in the creeds. And begin to maybe articulate the creeds. And that's not irrelevant, but it's not enough. When we talk about faith in the church, we're talking about trust. And there's no better test of trust than generosity. So, this community is transformed by the work of God in them, and it has landed in their lives in generosity. That's the general atmosphere, the general attitude. Everyone's invested in that. It's not just the Chuck Feenies, everyone. And yet, there are Chuck Feenies in this community, people who have a bit more. And what it says is that those outstanding examples of generosity come as people sell the extra that they have. In Barnabas' case, it's a field. And maybe a contemporary example would be a house. An extra house, second house. And they give that and they lay it down at the apostles' feet. Now note the point. None of this is compulsory. If it were compulsory, it wouldn't be generosity. It would be... Communism or something. No, it's generosity. God loves a cheerful giver. And in fact, I have to say this, all the way, if you read, the early, if you read early church history, what you find is that, that it was, in the early church, it was always voluntary. And the people stirred by the Spirit were willing to give. This is absolutely miraculous. Now, some people look at this example in Acts 4 and they say, well, fantastic. Well, let's create that question is, is this a model for all time? I'm going to say no. If it is, we're certainly not living it. But it is evidence. I think it's not meant as a model that we should enforce, coerce people's generosity. Because as soon as you try and do that, you've lost it. And God will exit the building, I think. This isn't a model, but it is evidence that through the power of the Holy Spirit... God will act like this. Where the Spirit is, there is freedom. Paul says that in Corinthians. But that freedom has to be manifest in concrete ways in a a community. It will land with, with wallets. Luther said, didn't he, that a man must undergo two conversions, the first of his heart, the second of his pocketbook. And the thing stands for women as well. The evidence of the manifestation of the Spirit in the community will be glorious generosity. Secondly, though... We see there is, I'm alliterating again, folks, here you go, unreal unity. This is what they teach you in seminary these days. The extraordinary generosity here is evidence of something deeper. Yes, the spirit at work, but actually of a unity in the community. Now, I don't know if you're like me, but when you think, when I think of unity in the church, I often think of unity at the level of the mind. This is what Westerners are always conditioned to do. Unity. Well, unity around what we believe. Do we believe the same things? Are they a Bible believing church? Well, again, not irrelevant. The content of what we believe matters. But really, the level of unity we're discussing here is far deeper than that. You know, you can believe the same thing as somebody else and still live as their enemy. You can hate somebody with whom you agree. That's not what we see here. The level of unity that exists in the church goes far beyond ideas. It says here, all the believers were together. What, in your vision, the NRV says, well, one in heart and mind. The word for all the believers is plethos. That's the word from which we get the word plethora. So there's a sense here of manyness. Manyness with believers. And then it says, they were one heart and soul. Cardia, kai, suke, mia. Heart and soul, one. Manyness, oneness. That's the the unreal unity. There was manyness, but there was oneness of the manyness. The many who are one. Again, the Spirit breathes into this generous community, unity. That's the evidence of the Spirit. And it's somehow evidenced in the generosity, but it becomes this virtuous cycle. Let me just take a a breath here. This isn't in the notes, but I just feel the spirit saying to say this. If you dislike somebody in the community, do you know what the best antidote to fixing that is? Give them something. Give them a gift. It's really difficult to dislike somebody that you're generous toward. It's actually how forgiveness works. When you forgive somebody, there's a particular model of forgiveness called the REACH model of forgiveness. A guy called Everett Worthington came up with it, and in the middle of it, uh, there is this thing about giving an A. A, REACH is an acronym. Is that the word? I always forget that. Anyway. A what? Acrostic. Thank you very much. A is give an altruistic gift. Give something to the person you want to forgive. This is essential in the community. This is, so can you see there? If you give to somebody, it creates an atmosphere of unity. It's amazing. I've labored that point enough. But maybe somebody, (laughs) be worried next week if you start getting gifts from everyone in the church. (laughs) You hated me. (laughs) You should have said. Thirdly, so unruly unity. Thirdly, there was great grace. Great grace. I love this. God's grace was powerfully at work upon them all. Upon them all, among them all. The, the preposition is epi, it means upon. The, there was just grace. You know, the evidence of the spirit in the community is grace. God's grace so powerfully at work in them. Grace is a sign that God is at work. A generous life is the life that grace has touched. You know, if you see somebody generous in your life, think about the most generous person you know. I guarantee they are somebody who understands grace. And again, with, with the community, it's, not, it's become an atmosphere. It's become a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, I long to see a continuation of the economy of grace in this community. That's why it's so important that when we give, we celebrate. You know, that's why we, you know, when we sent the church since, to St. Saviour's, by the way, they're flourishing down there. Answers to prayer on, on Friday, they were praying that the, the final parts of the soft play would be removed and they were praying that they would be reconnected to their energy because they'd been disconnected. We were, a group of us were praying, and yesterday, both of those two, two things happened on one day. You know, when we sent that church, the reason we stood them all up here and celebrated them is because we want to celebrate generosity in this place. We never want to behave as if there isn't enough because there's always enough. And when you create an economy of that in a church, you begin to see it multiplying. It multiplies in forgiveness. It multiplies in healing. It multiplies in transformation. It multiplies in churches planted. And you begin, it begins to get, in the best way, out of control. Who wants to be part of a church that is controllable? It's just That would be so dull. But so much church life is just rigidly controlled. If there is a spirit of control on the church, the Spirit of God will not be part of that. The spirit of generosity is the spirit that the Holy Spirit wants to inhabit. There was great grace on the church. Let there be great grace on the church today. There was, fourthly or fifthly or thirdly, I don't know, there was no one needy. It says the great grace was powerfully at work such that there was not a needy person among them. Within this economy of grace, the outcome was that people were no longer in need. Now remember, as is the case today in this church and in churches across this country, the church was particularly then a very diverse socioeconomic group. People were drawn for all kinds of, all parts of uh, society at that point. There were very wealthy people and there were really poor people as well. The gospel was particularly persuasive and attractive in the first century and in the first few centuries before it became Socially acceptable and, in fact, socially advantageous within the 4th century to be a Christian, the gospel was particularly valuable to slaves. And so the earliest Christian communities were filled with people who had no power. And it's in the context of this that this economy of generosity takes place. The poor are cared for. One extraordinary vision for generosity. Why do we give? Well, we give because we want to be part of a community like that. There was nobody needy. And and finally, there was within this persuasive power. I just feel like it just says in the middle of it, it says, and with great power, the apostles continue to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. I just feel like this is connected to the generosity This is all one thing. You can't separate any of it. It's as if God says, oh, I love what's happening there. I'm going to indwell it. I'm just going to bless that with my power and my presence. That is what the Jesus revolution is about. That is what we want to see in the church. With great power, the apostles to quote Wimber, did the stuff. They continue to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And actually we begin to see it spreading very early in Christian history, beyond the apostles, such that it's about you and me. Every disciple is able to share in this. But what I want you to see this morning is the particular role that generosity has within it. It is a fruit. Oh, Amen. It is a fruit, but also a cause of this environment. It's almost as if the text is saying that as we learn, stirred by grace, to share with one another, we find God sharing with us. Of course, it begins with God in the first place. He shares with us, and as he pours out his love into our hearts, our hands are loosened on what we thought previously was our possession, we begin to understand that it was his all along. We begin to give it. And as we give, we find it's like a a nuclear reaction. One atom exciting another, exciting another, exciting another. A chain reaction. That's the phrase I was looking for. I'm in the middle of a chain reaction. Sorry, any of you alive in the 60s? It's a good one. It's a chain reaction. That's that's how it works. That's how generosity is supposed to be in the church. It's like a warmth. You know, you can go into a church and you can feel it. Those of you who are more sensitive to this kind of thing, you can feel it. You can feel this atmosphere when it's present. And you can feel it when it isn't. So what? Who wouldn't want to live this kind of life today? Who doesn't want to be caught up in the adventure of generosity? Who doesn't want to to be part of a church like this? Shocking. Shocking generosity. Enormous grace. Power of God manifests. Healing, forgiveness, all that stuff happening. This is compelling. It's freedom. But let's go back to what Chuck Feeney said. You know, it's fun. It's fun. Now, it isn't always natural. Do you know most Christian virtue isn't natural? It is our second nature. And generosity, I think, for many of us, certainly for me, fits quite firmly within the category of second nature. I have had to learn. I have had to learn to practice generosity in my life. And it has been not always, it hasn't always been easy. I've had to loosen my grip on what I perceive I own. One of the most powerful and persuasive things to me has been receiving the generosity of others. Not just receiving God's generosity through Christ. Of course, that's part of it. That's the main part of it. But honestly, receiving grace has changed me. Just a couple of stories. Many of you know my uh, friend and mentor, somebody who sowed into my life again and again and again, a guy called Don Williams who died uh, last year, about this time last year, actually. And... He was just so generous to me again and again. He picked me up at the lowest point in my life and befriended me. He was 47 years older than me, and I don't know why, but he saw something in me and just began to pour into my life. He gave me again and again and again. He gave me stuff. He he flew me out to stay with him and his wife in California on more than one occasion. You know, there was one occasion where I had nothing to do all summer, and, and, and knew, I can see now that he knew I was struggling, really struggling, in, in just on the rocks in my life, shipwreck really, very lost. And so he, he'd started this charity, this website, uh, that, that were doing some book reviews and various things for pastors, and he said, Johnny, I'm going to fly you out. I'm going to give you a job. I <laughs> wasn't practicing my faith at all. He said, I want to employ you. He bought me a computer. He, he, he paid me, and I wrote some articles for this website. He even had me recording worship songs. you probably still find them on the internet. I wouldn't bother, but you could. It just sowed into my life again and again and again, and he's the reason I'm standing here. He is the reason. He just gave and gave and gave, and that inspired me. I remember one occasion where I was at the back of a church, and some of you heard this story again, and uh, this is my father, actually, where my, this was a church that Amy and I were attending, and there was a giving Sunday, a bit like this one, and I was desperate to leave because my parents were visiting London where, where we were worshipping, and I thought, great, this is going to be a free lunch. Not one to miss out on the generosity of others, I was, I was encouraging them to leave, and, and I couldn't find my father, so I looked back in the seats, And my dad was filling out a form like the ones on your seats now to give to a church of which he was not a member and would probably never return. And I said, Mom, what's he doing? And she turned to me and said, She said, I don't know. He just can't help himself. That's it. That's it. That's the Spirit. He can't help himself. It's taken me a long time, and I still wouldn't say I'm there. Far from it. I'm not in the position where I can't help myself. When the Spirit urges me to give, I try and help myself. (laughs) I try again and again to help myself. And I justify, oh, it couldn't be God. It couldn't be you know if you've done that? It's not the Lord, it's just me. that's just my idea. Do you know, though, Church, I have never regretted anything I've given. I've only regretted the things I didn't. So I call you today, humbly, humbly. as a sinner, I call you into the adventure of giving. And many of you are already living in this life. I know this because of the generosity you've shown toward us and toward this church. But if you're not, I invite you to begin. And the best way, one of the best ways you can begin to do this is to give regularly to the church family. Just as it says, you know, some sold what they had, the extra that they had, and laid it down at the apostles' feet. And again, as I said, this becomes a regular practice as early as we have records. This is one of the earliest ones. But continually throughout Christian history, this happens. People give to the life of the church voluntarily and regularly. And so, I want to give you a a bit of an update uh, as we come into land on this sermon this morning, on where we are with giving. Because I talked about this in September, and we asked uh, many of you who are, some of you who weren't giving, to consider giving for the first time, perhaps. And we also said to those who are giving, would you consider? Uh, praying about whether God might be calling you to give more. So I want to give you an update on what we shared in September. So you may remember if you're uh, particularly, uh, well, if you can remember stuff, let me say. Uh, You may remember that last year, on average each month, we were uh, receiving in gifts uh, about £32,000 per month. And we budgeted an increase of 20%, which would uh, account to, would amount to, I should say, 38.4 thousand pounds per month in October. So the month immediately after we um, asked uh, you to consider giving, we saw a 7% increase in our giving. Budgeting for 20%, we saw a 7% increase. But this is despite giving away. Uh, generously and graciously, and and I have to say, the way that you guys gave uh, to St. Saviour's was extraordinary. This is despite giving at least 20 givers to St. Saviour's church plant, which is amazing, because that means they've got 20 people in that church from day one who were schooled in giving regularly the life of the church. Isn't that extraordinary? So we saw a 7% uplift even though we gave those people to that church. And we think that we would have been close to that 20% of uplift had we not planted that church. Just to be clear, we're very glad we did. This isn't a complaint, it's just information. So uh, last month, 197 people gave. And that's up from an average of around 179 over the, per month over the previous six months. That's great news. And that's despite giving 20 extra givers, as I said. And we've seen 41 different giving uh, folks give for the first time since the 1st of September. Thank you. That is amazing. We are so grateful. We've also seen historic gift aid claims, uh, so from the tax years 2020 to 2023, of £17,000 since asking for folks who hadn't filled out gift aid declarations to do that. And we think there might still be folks who are still eligible to do that. So if you're a UK taxpayer, you haven't yet uh, enabled us to claim your gift aid, please do that. You can do that by filling in the sheet that's on your chair. Now, our average donation per giver is dropping slightly. We think that's partly because we've lost, given, given, not lost. We've given a number of givers, and we also know that some are reducing their giving, but also, and principally, it's because we have new givers who are beginning the journey of giving. They're beginning giving. And actually, we know that people over time tend to increase their giving, and so the average gift is slightly decreased. That's a good problem to have. At current averages, we think it would take around 25 new givers per month, or current givers giving about 20 pounds per giver extra as an increase um, to bridge the 58,000 gap that we currently think we have between what's been given and our budget. I hope that's clear my best we currently estimate about 47% of the average uh, 2023 adult congregation is already giving, that's a great start that's a great baseline and my question to you this morning if you're not already giving is why not join them this is our custom, this is what we do here this is one of the ways that we consider membership or belonging we don't have a formal membership, it's one of the ways we consider being part of the, the family But to those that are giving, would you consider under God in prayer whether God is asking you to increase your gift? Today, beyond even what is given to this church, I call you to consider the adventure of a generous life. We all want to see the signs of generosity in this church. And I contend that the revolution, the Jesus revolution, is not complete until it touches the area of our finance. So this morning join the revolution within the community, beyond the community. So let's pray.